let's pretend that we're putting the epidural in and we get a gush of CSF through the chewing needle. What are the what's the management of that? Yeah. What are our different options, Matt? Uh, well, I think the first thing we need to do, easier said than done, is to be calm. Uh, try not to lose too much uh, CSF, and if you can, just reinsert the stylet needle, uh, the stylet into the uh, the tui needle, just to uh, stop the flow of CSF. Take a deep breath, and Welcome to episode 46 of the Ups and Gone Care Podcast. Okay, hi everyone. Uh, welcome back to the podcast. This week I'm joined by my colleague uh, Dr. Matt Rutledge again. Uh, we're going to talk about um, we're a two-part series talking about all things to do with dural puncture and dural puncture headaches. Um, so thanks for coming along, Matt. Yeah, pleasure, Roger. Nice to be here. So the way we're going to structure is we thought we'd split it up into um, two um, sessions. The first one was going to be more about um, avoiding or managing an accidental dural puncture. Uh, and I thought I'd kick it off by just sort of um, put, uh, you know, putting together a little hypothetical scenario, which I'm sure sounds familiar to some people, uh, probably possibly to all of us. Um, so imagine, Matt, that you're called down to labor ward to place an epidural in a multiparous woman. Uh, when you enter the room, you notice that this woman is obviously very distressed. She's writhing around the bed with every contraction and uh, can't hold still. And then she looks up and sees you and, and she says, oh, you're not gonna give me a terrible headache like the last anesthetist did three years ago, are ya? Um, does that sound familiar, Matt? Yeah, it, it does sound familiar, and I certainly want to check the notes to make sure that I wasn't the last anaesthetist three years ago. Um, uh, yeah, so this is uh, clearly, uh, I'd say um, post-dural puncture headache is probably the most avoidable complication of our specialty and in this patient group. Um, this is when we see it the most uh, frequently. Uh, I guess in this situation, we want to make sure she's not about to have a baby. So yep. the, um and, and avoid the complication completely. So good mid midwifery care at this point is really uh, helpful. Okay, so um, she's just had an ARM about uh, 30 minutes ago, but they do examine her and she's only four centimetres and they reckon she's got a long way to go, so. Great, okay, so sounds like a good indication for an epidural. Um, so I guess in terms of reducing the risk of um, uh, an accidental dural puncture, there's a number of risk factors. And it's probably worth, um, if anyone can get access to um, the International Journal of Obstetric Anesthesia, there is a article on this this very month looking at risk factors, and it's kind of interesting in some respects in that uh, there's a whole myriad of reasons why accidental dural punches happen, um, both from our own individual technical abilities or, or inabilities to patient factors to situational factors. Um, and it's actually quite hard to sort of pin down significant reasons for increased risk though clearly uh, one's own experience is, um, is, is key and um, <clears throat> what's the sort of rough level of incidence of uh, quoted in the literature uh, around the world yeah again, again it varies from 0.3% uh, as up to uh, about 2% so I guess you know rule of thumb we can say we're sort of one in 100 to one in 150 I think we, we would quote mostly 
Okay, and so that's so just to clarify that, so that's accidental dural puncture with the tui needle, absolutely, or the yeah, epidural needle, which obviously we're not trying to, to do. Yeah, and the, the, what's what's interesting is that the rate varies significantly around the world, and um, uh, so 03 percent is really quite a, a low risk, and that was yep. reported in a um, very large hospital in Singapore, um, and uh, but it has been reported to be as high as two percent. Yeah. Okay. Um, so uh, what I thought we should do is maybe um, some practical sort of take-home advice that people who are listening might want to um, latch on to um, and, and take back to their practice. So um, any tips, Matt, for, for how you can manage the situation when you have a patient who's having trouble holding still and you're the, the ones that are sort of thrashing around the bed? I know I have things that I talk to our registrars about. Um, what do you do? Yeah, well, I think um, <coughs> preparing yourself and the patient and, and whoever is supporting the patient is, is gonna, gonna, going to help. Um, and trying to control all the things you can control, and many things we can't control, like their anatomy and their weight and other things, but there are yep. a lot of things we can control, so make sure you've got good light positioning, uh, everything's um, all nearby. Um, if, in some situations, if someone is really distressed and you really feel it's gonna be unsafe to, to um, to do an epidural, what you can do, and I've done that on a few occasions, is to use a spinal anaesthetic, yep. um, to use a low-dose spinal um, uh, mix of local anaesthetic, um, and I think you're probably going to do less harm with a very narrow-gauge spinal needle to get somebody comfortable, and then you can maybe get them to sit still yeah. and pop the epidural in. That's right, and, we, and you're trying to puncture the dura with that small needle anyway, aren't you? So it's not a big deal. Uh, although it may be technically difficult to get it in if they're, if they're challenging and they won't hold still. Yeah, absolutely, um, yeah. Some of the other things I've noticed as well over the years is that um, sometimes they they uh, they will hold still if you can if you can get through to them, but especially if they're using nitrous oxide and it's been turned right up, they just don't understand what you're saying. They're on another planet. And uh, occasionally I've found that if I just um, ask the midwife to turn it to just oxygen, so I find it's not a good idea to try and sort of um, take it off them because that sort of uh, isn't sort of greeted very well from them. They they don't they don't see that as a nice thing to do, but. You turn the nitrous oxide off. They still have, they still have it, and then they yep. all of a sudden they understand what you're saying, and they do actually hold still and follow your your requests. Yeah, um, and I think also just I, I, you know getting them on your side. Yeah, that's um, right. Is, just is being probably going yeah. to be the, uh, the the best bet. Um, yep. They may be on oxytocin infusion if they're um, being yep. augmented. Um, yep. So you can stop that. And I've consider from, yeah switching that off. Or yeah, I've heard from lots of obstetricians that that's completely fine to do that. Um, there's sometimes there's a bit of reluctance from the midwifery or, or some other obstetric staff uh, once it's going for for it to be um, uh, turned off temporarily. Yeah. Um, so and I, I wouldn't necessarily recommend that all the time, um, but in certain situations you might want to consider. Yeah, that. it's all a risk benefit, isn't it? So um, I think those are the main things. Um, I have heard someone else describe doing a CSE technique where they where they um, don't advance the tui needle all the way in. Though once they feel like they're close to the epidural space and you can feel that sort of gritty mm -hmm. feeling then doing a spinal through that and so even if the patient sort of moves around at that stage the tui needle is still half to one centimeter away from the epidural space okay. and it's and um and then that's so you, so you can then get some sort of um control or some analgesia with the spinal dose and then obviously without taking you just wait for that to kick in and then you can continue on and, and finish off by putting the epidural catheter in um Right. So the so so how we're going to manage um, so so despite our best efforts, um, let's pretend that we're putting the epidural in and we get a gush of CSF through the tui needle. What are the what's the management of that? Yeah. What are our different options, Matt? 
Uh, well, I think the first thing we need to do, easier said than done, is to be calm. Uh, try not to lose too much uh, CSF, and if you can, just reinsert the stylet needle, uh, the stylet into the uh, the TUI needle, just to uh, stop the flow of CSF. Take a deep breath, and is to be calm. Uh, try not to lose too much uh, CSF, and if you can, just reinsert the stylet needle, uh, the stylet into the uh, the TUI needle, just to uh, stop the flow of CSF. Take a deep breath, and consider your options. Okay, and what are our options? So, I mean, you can really broadly divide these into two. You can um, uh, pass a epidural catheter through the TUI needle into the intrathecal space and then use that as an intrathecal catheter and provide the analgesia that way. Or you could take out the TUI needle um, and you could recite the uh, epidural at a different level or the same level. Okay. Um, so what are the pros and cons of uh, an intrathecal catheter? So some institutions uh, recommend that. I know mm. we, we probably tend to do that. Mm. Yeah, the, well, I guess the, the main um, advantage is you can provide immediate analgesia. Uh, you're in the space in which you can pass a catheter. Um, the catheter can be used for the immediate analgesia and also for subsequent analgesia as well. And should any help with delivery be required, then it can be used to um, provide anesthesia for that. And if the epidural had been difficult, um, then you can't guarantee you're going to be able to easily recite the epidural if you were to choose to go down the other option of um, reciting. Yep. Okay. What are the downsides of an intrafecal catheter? Uh, I guess the downside is that you're introducing um, something into the intrafecal space, uh, risk of infection in the longer term. Uh, the key concern is the, the risk of uh, inadvertent um, erroneous doses of drugs yep. um, down the intrathecal um, catheter um, and uh, given that it's an epidural catheter it may be mistaken for an epidural and uh, yeah. that could have devastating complications. Yep that's right okay so I think we've, I've got down here so how, how should we manage or how do we safely manage an intrathecal catheter what are the sort of dosing and, uh, and uh, observations and yeah, so I, one, one of the most important things really is the communication side of things. So we need to communicate that with the uh, the staff. We need to label the catheter, and then we need to be very clear on the doses that we're putting down. And to establish um, the uh, pain relief for labor, so at this point, so we've got the intrathecal catheter down, uh, we're going to give um, something like one and a half mils or two mils of a low dose of local anaesthetic and what we might use typically is um, uh, 0.125% bupivacaine or uh, levobupivacaine with some yep. fentanyl. Yep, okay, that's good. And uh, what would you do then for sort of ongoing analgesia? Say, you know, this is a woman who's sort of an early, early on in her labour and has got a, quite a while to go. Yes, um, well, a, a couple of options. Um, one is to intermittently top up the uh, catheter when it's required. Yep. And I mean, certainly my feeling is, Roger, I actually use many of these. Um, the pain relief lasts for 30 to 30 minutes to an hour or so. Yeah. After yep. each uh, dose, that's um, that's th well, That seems to be the impression I get, yeah. yeah. Um, so, so we could use a uh, intermittent top up and um, given that it's an intrathecal catheter, I'd recommend the anaesthetist should do those top ups, not the midwife. Um, you can also set up a patient control device, and that, that's been described in some institutions, and um, 
but the easiest way is to just uh, inject it when it's yeah. required. Now, I think we have used it in our institution uh, in the past as well. Um, and it's interesting, so, uh, I mean, I don't think any of us have a lot of experience with these catheters because they are very infrequent even in mm. uh, busy obstetric centres, but um, it's been su surprised me that sometimes they seem to work really well and sometimes the analgesia seems to wear off really quickly. I don't know mm. whether there's... Well, sometimes they work initially and then they peter yeah, out. Yeah, well, I don't know whether it's there's, if there's a big leak around the catheter and so uh, the drugs that go and get sort of washed out or, or I don't know what the mechanism is, but it is very... Mm. Some of them are very good at giving analgesia. I've been really disappointed in a few as well. So, um, okay, let's say that uh, um, that we have got a, an intrathecal catheter and it's being used in labour, and then the patient, for um, obstetric reasons, needs to come to theatre for a cesarean. Um, how would we safely top up a intrathecal catheter uh, in theatre, and it will and they'll then provide analgesia post cesarean? Sure. Um, again, uh, cautiously. Uh, I would use the same drugs that I would use for a uh, spinal, for a caesarean section, so 0.5%, um, um, bupivacaine, heavy bupivacaine, and yep. fentanyl. Um, you have to remember there is a dead space of about half a mil um, of the catheter and the um, filter, so yep. you have to be mindful when you are bolusing. So I'd probably bolus a mil to a mil and a half um, cautiously. Yep. and take it from there. Yeah, that's right. And, I th and so it's, uh, I've found as well that it's quite hard to predict how much they're going to need because mm. I think, obviously, as we discussed before, sometimes there's a leakage around the catheter. So you can't just sort of put in uh, you know, your standard spinal dose, 2.1 mils plus 10 mics of fentanyl yeah. or whatever you normally use. And um, I'll also say whenever you've, um, said it from my experience, when, whenever you've had some sort of problem or some sort of complication, things don't always work as predictably as they no. <laughs> as they normally do. So if you've that's already a, had a dural puncture or... Yeah. That's right. So if you've so been in and out of the space, you don't know quite know where you are. You never quite know what's what's ahead. So just, yeah, yeah be, be, be cautious. Yep. So it might not work and they might get pain or it might work too well. And exactly. Might, you might discover they're not talking or breathing. So, yeah, there's lots of things can go wrong, isn't it? Okay, so um, maybe just take a step back again. So the other option is uh, in some places, um, also, so some places uh, you know, don't have an on-site anaesthetist. Mm -hmm. So say, for example, in a small peripheral hospital where the anaesthetist just sort of comes in and does the epidural and then goes home. Uh, my personal feeling is that maybe an intrathecal catheter is not safe in those sorts of institutions where there's no one on-site. Mm -hmm. um, so some places might... Uh, uh, favour the, the te technique of just if you get a dural puncture you just sort of pull out and then try and place an epidural at another level you know, above or below yeah and I think that's completely reasonable um, yep um, and then you can make sure it's working as an epidural and um, then treat it as an epidural thereafter though obviously you know we have damaged the dura so there is always that risk of the epidural migrating into the dura how often that happens I don't know but it's, it's probably pretty uncommon yeah, so um, in my experience, that usually if you do that, then the epidural sort of um, usually just uh, you know performs like a normal epidural. Mm. But I guess for the first sort of hour or so, or the first sort of dosing of that epidural, you should definitely be in in or around the room, being caref careful to sort of monitor what's happening. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. also subsequently, if you were to give bigger doses down for any um, operative delivery, yeah, again, yeah. be very cautious. Um, just from what we were saying earlier. Okay. All right. Um, just going back, I think we forgot to mention. So, say you use the intrathecal catheter in theatre for a caesarean. Mm. What do you normally do for like pain relief after the caesarean? 
Um, I would put some intrathecal morphine or dimorphine down in whichever country I was working in yep. um, for long-acting uh, pain relief. Yeah, okay. Yeah, that's what I do as well. I, so I put about 100 mics of intrathecal morphine down. and then. Um, uh, so um, is there any evidence for, for anything that we can do? So once someone's got an intrathecal catheter or had a dural puncture, is there anything we can do to try and prevent them from developing a headache? Yes, uh, I mean, coming back to sort of the advantage or potential advantage of a, an intrathecal catheter over a... Um, reciting the epidural. There is um, some evidence, though it is fairly conflicting, that um, by putting an intrathecal catheter in rather than taking the epidural out or, and, and reciting the epidural, you may actually reduce the subsequent risk of postural puncture headache. Now, um, the evidence, when you look at the literature on this, most of the studies are retrospective. Some have shown there is a reduction in postural puncture headache risk. Some have shown that there isn't. Um, a very recent retrospective study of around about 100 um, intrathecal catheters from South Australia showed that the yep. risk it was significantly reduced in terms of postural punch headache. But again, it was a retrospective study. There was no comparative. And how long were those route. catheters left in for? Well, yeah, well, so interestingly, what they found was that um, the when they compared the intrathecal catheter dural punctures to a match group that didn't have an intrathecal catheter, the incidence of postural puncture headache was the same. So they both developed a headache, but they had a significantly low risk of epidural blood patch. So the severity, so presumably so, the so severity, presumably the severity was so uh, yeah. not necessarily the, the, the risk of the headache itself. What but when you look back at other studies, a big, big study from Belgium um, showed there was really no difference. Yeah, okay. And what's the theory behind why that might be the case? Is it sort of uh, having the catheter in there sort of make it... Uh, start off some sort of inflammatory reaction to get the healing going or what's yeah the, and I think also just just plugging the, the just hole plugging at the, hole. the time and, yeah. and reducing the loss of CSF um, yep. from right from the initial period in terms of how long you if you if you were to go down that that route and um, use an intrathecal catheter uh, the question then comes after delivery do you leave it in or do you take it out straight yeah. away because there's um, uh, some feeling that by leaving it in you're going to increase some scar tissue formation and reduce yep. the size of the hole thereafter again the evidence is limited as to whether that is true or not and certainly from this uh, most recent retrospective study from south australia they found that that did not have an effect in in their group of patients leaving it up to 24 hours and i guess the risk of leaving it in is that someone might uh, accidentally think it's an epidural if they needed to come back sure. to theater and uh, once again you know dose it and cause a total spinal or something like that or um, perhaps maybe there's a risk of infection yeah, yeah, for a long absolutely, time. yeah. and I think even you know the, the way I feel about this in the absence of any strong compelling evidence that there's going to be any additional benefit to leaving it in longer I would take it out yeah and, and in the peop people who I have seen uh, left in it's usually someone ties a knot in it and uh, puts big labels all over it and it's usually just sort of left in until the next ward round in, yeah. the, in, the, in the morning so it's not left in for days or anything yeah I think yeah. that's a reasonable thing yeah we might wind it up there, Matt, because we're going to talk about the other aspects of dual mm. puncture and the, and, the, and the headache management uh, later on. So I thought um, at the end of this, uh, so for this podcast as well, what I'm going to do is um, put a, uh, a quiz in. I'm going to put a picture of an individual on the website. So mm. if, if you're listening to this, um, log on to the, the blog page and have a look. And so uh, uh, if you can tell me who this individual is and why they're famous, then... Uh, You'll get some kudos. I haven't got any prizes, sorry. <laughs> 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 well, 
maybe one day we'll print some t-shirts or some coffee mugs. Yeah. That's right, some merchandise. <laughs> okay, Matt, thanks. We'll see you again next Had week. A pleasure. Thanks, Roger. Thanks for listening, everyone. If you like the show, please go to the Apple Podcast menu and rate us and give us a review. Um, and also feel free to go to the website, uh, org, where there will be links to relevant articles and show notes. Thanks for listening.